the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday program. That means we've made it to the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is call 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, lots going on this weekend. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, uh, Galatians 6, at least the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 6. We're getting close to the end of uh, our study through the the uh, book of Galatians. So tonight, verses 1 through 10, and then uh, tomorrow, of course, we have our Saturday morning prayer Uh, corporate prayer. We also have a pastor's discipleship class. And then our three services on Sunday, I'm going to be teaching out of Acts chapter 16. And this is sort of where Paul's life in the ministry really gets exciting. So uh, Acts chapter 16 uh, is uh, Sunday, at least uh, part of it is our study uh, on Sunday. Go to church on Sunday, wherever it is you go. Go with the right heart. Say, Lord, divine appointment. Show me people that need to be blessed. Give me the gifts of your spirit, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, anything and everything, words of encouragement and exhortation, and uh, just see how the Lord will use you at church on Sunday. Well, let me get to some questions, and uh, we will await any phone calls that come in today. Our first one comes in from Becky from our email inbox, and she says, Pastor Ron, what do you think of dating websites? Now, everybody, Becky, that comes to Calvary Chapel San Antonio goes, oh, no, they're slapping their forehead because they know what I think of dating websites. And then she says this, I am single and am in ministry at my church. My friends are trying to convince me to create a dating profile, but I do not know what to think about them. Any suggestions? Becky, now, every time I say this, people get angry with me. There's always an exception that proves the rule. But I can't think of anything more faithless than going on a dating website. Instead of trusting that the Lord is preparing you for somebody, if in fact that's a desire of your heart, or uh, if God is preparing somebody for you, um, then all you've got to do is keep doing what you're doing, keep serving. Keep serving, and the friends that are trying to convince you, you need to be a little bit forward with them and ask them, you know, where is your faith? Create a dating profile. Doesn't that demonstrate that I don't trust God to take care of me, to provide what I really need in my life? Now, Becky, as you know, dating websites are a mixed bag. There's going to be good people there that are sincerely lonely, and they're just looking for somebody. And I guess there's an advantage in that. 
people know that if they get involved, uh, that it's going to lead somewhere if that's if that's the case. But the reality is, and I've had this over the years at our church many, many times, somebody gets on a dating website and then they meet somebody or some buddies, plural, who aren't at all what they advertise themselves to be. And I think the the most important thing here, Becky, is you just nurturing your relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus, what do you think of dating websites? He would look at you and he'd say, Becky, don't you think I love you? Don't you think that I'm going to take care of you? Don't you think that I'm going to provide everything that you need? And I can tell you, Becky, that it saddens him that Christians, people in your church that you're talking about, uh, are trying to convince you um, to... um, do something so faithless. So um, that, that's my answer. Uh, please resist with all of your strength. And, and remember, the way to minister to somebody at your church is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then let Jesus direct your steps. One day there will be that man that you're looking for. If it's in fact God's plan to marry you and the desire that he has in your heart, if that's truly your desire, he will fulfill that desire. But we've got to depend on him. I tell all of our people here, Becky, and you don't go to our church, but excuse me, uh, you don't go to our church, but let me say this. If you are serving in your church, um, keep your eyes open. Watch people's lives. Watch their walk with Jesus. If there's somebody that you're interested in from a, a a distance, not much of a distance, but from distance, you can watch and you can see the authenticity or the lack of authenticity in their walk with the Lord. So, Becky, please, please, please don't do this. Uh, just let the Lord know the desires of your heart. He says that if you delight yourself in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, he'll put the desire in you, Becky. And right now I can tell you by resisting your friend's uh, pressure to do something that is so faithless, uh, by resisting that pressure, Becky, um, he's pleased. He's pleased. So I can tell you that directly. Thank you, Becky, for the question. Here is another question. This one is from uh, Anonymous. He actually signed this email with Believer in Jesus and Only Jesus. I like that. He says, Pastor Ron, I hope this meets you well. I'm always engaged in internal battles and need wisdom and insight. For example, I don't even know if it's a sin to go to a business where idols are displayed. Um, Not an iota belief in them. He He doesn't believe them. Or watch movies where idols are mentioned or wear clothing brands where some mythical creatures are the logos displayed. Uh, Example given, Versace. Uh, I threw out my true religion shirt because of this, but I really can't escape these things. The enemy plays in my mind all day. Well, believer in Jesus and only Jesus, let me set your mind at ease. There is nothing that you have to worry about. Uh, We have a Chinese food restaurant uh, in our little shopping center here, and right inside the door they got a big old Buddha. Um, You know, I still would go eat their chicken fried rice. So um, Paul says, writing to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, that idols are nothing. So treat them like any other foolishness. Um, It is not a sin to go in when the enemy starts pounding on you, uh, trying to make you feel guilty for being there. Remember Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But they mean nothing. They mean absolutely nothing to us as Christians. Uh, You are a believer in Jesus and only Jesus. So uh, you don't have to worry about idols or watching movies or wearing clothing brands. Uh, with mythical creatures on them, uh, don't worry about it at all. Just enjoy um, your life with Christ. So no sin. Um, take it easy on yourself. Lighten up. Here is an anonymous question. One that I think we've all probably had in the past. I failed again in my plan to read the Bible. Can you give me any advice about how to stay consistent in Bible reading? Anonymous, there's no trick to this. It's discipline. That's all it is. You've got to decide whether or not it's important to you. Now, you know it's important to you. You wouldn't be struggling with this. But the idea is we let ourselves get spiritually lazy. And this is just something that you have to do. 
Um, it, it's it's good for you. It's where you're going to learn more about Jesus. It's where you're going to grow to be more and more like him. It's his word, uh, anonymous, that he's going to speak to you through uh, probably 98% of the time that the Spirit of God is trying to speak to you. Uh, so this is just something that has to be important. Now, here's what I mean. I don't think too many of us skip meals. We have a set time. Um, I eat at the same time pretty much every day. Uh, when it comes that time, I'm hungry, I'm ready to eat. I don't skip that because um, there's something else I want to do. I discipline myself, I sit down, and I do it. Well, the same thing is true, only much more important in your Bible reading. Establish a routine. Now, I don't know what works for you. I'm a morning person. So, uh, for me, the idea is we've got to get up early while my mind is sharp. Uh, I want to seek the Lord. I want to seek Him in the mornings before uh, we go out and, and head into a day that He knows all about and I know nothing about. Um, and so we, we just have to discipline ourselves to do that. So set aside a time that works for you and just don't ever miss it. Don't schedule any appointments. Don't schedule uh, any any TV programs or uh, internet time. Put your phone somewhere else. Uh, get yourself in a place where you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and open your Bibles and read it. But do it prayerfully. It's not like, okay, Lord, I got to do this because I'll feel bad if I don't. It's a, Lord, I want to hear from you today. I need to hear from you today, Lord. Please speak to my heart and then read it. One other suggestion, Anonymous, is read uh, consistently and systematically. In other words, don't just uh, open it up. Um, Paula, for instance, today she read uh, to me Proverbs chapter 11 because this is the 11th of the month and she reads a proverb a day. Now, I don't do that, but many people do. So you can start off by saying, okay, this is the 11th of the month. I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 11. And then after that, um, read systematically. Uh, I I always tell people um, in your situation, uh, anonymous, to start with the book of Ephesians. And read it a chapter a day or two chapters a day. Uh, I, I think once you get in the habit, uh, you'll be more excited about doing it. Um, and then when you're done with that chapter, uh, eventually you'll be done with the book of Ephesians and go on to something else. I like to recommend the Gospel of John after the book of Ephesians. After the Gospel of John, go to Genesis and read Genesis. So there's all kinds of different ways. But don't just pick up the Bible, open it, and read through it. Read the story. Now, remember, the Bible's not one book. It's 66 books. So what you want to do is pick those books and read them. And if you don't understand them, or if some of them get tedious, we're studying Leviticus on Wednesday nights, and Leviticus is tedious, especially to read when you don't have much of a foundation in the Word. So what you want to do is you want to just make your way through it. Ask continually for the Holy Spirit to help you, to speak to you. In in the Old Testament, uh, always look for Jesus in the stories. The Old Testament and the New Testament are both all and only about Jesus. And so you'll find him there. And pretty soon, Anonymous, as you stay consistent and disciplined, um, desire to read will take over the, the well, I have to read kind of approach that we take to the Bible. So uh, don't beat yourself up for failing again. Uh, don't start in the new year. Start today. Um, read Ephesians chapter 1. Read it two or three times. It won't take you very long. And, um, and, and then next day, you're going to read Ephesians chapter 2. And do the same thing. Read it two or three times and let the Lord begin to speak to you and become familiar with the Word. Now, my way will take a little bit longer to get through it than a Bible reading plan. I'm going to read through the Bible in one year. I don't think that's as important as really getting to know what the Word says. And the Holy Spirit will meet you. Hebrews says that His Word is living and active. Sharpen the double-edged sword. So it will meet you where you are. But make no mistake, God will provide the insight. He'll, he'll provide you with the desire to keep reading. But you've got to provide the will to do it and the discipline to keep at it. 
working out, Paul says, our salvation. Not working for, but working out our salvation with fear and trembling. So Anonymous, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, Go for it. You will be blessed abundantly if you do. Here's a question from Antonio. Um, He says, what does it mean to be under the covering of a pastor or local church? Um, This is sort of a mixed bag, Antonio. A lot of times... A lot of times pastors that tell you, well, you have to be under my covering, um, you know, they're control freaks. Now, it's not bad. I'll talk about that in a minute. It's not bad to be under the covering of a local church. But what it means is that you're being directed by people who acknowledge the gifts of the Spirit that God has given you. And they give you opportunities to serve the, the, the local body of Christ that you belong to. And so it's a good thing. Be careful when you say I'm under the covering or under the authority of a pastor, that the pastor is not being controlling, not being abusive. Uh, I think it's really important that you understand that. Uh, otherwise, there are times when people get taken advantage of. So it's just just having a, a solid fellowship, a Bible-believing fellowship of people uh, that you're attached to and accountable to. Don't let them tell you how to live your lives. Don't let them get involved in the day-to-day decisions that you make. But but ministry decisions, especially, or or opportunities to serve. Um, share that with the people, especially the pastors in your church, and uh, let them validate the gifting that they see in your lives. One of the problems that people have who don't like authority is that they go out and do what they believe God is telling them to do, but they want to do it on their terms. And they don't want to be under authority of anybody else or answer to anybody else. That's a really, really bad idea. You get out there all by yourself and the enemy's going to pound. He's going to try to destroy you. And Antonio, we all need to be... um, in fellowship, uh, we need to be um, around people that, that care for us and know about who we are and what God's doing in our lives. Um, so uh, uh, being under the authority or the covering of a pastor or a church is a good thing, uh, but, but sometimes it can be an abusive thing. So be, be wise. Uh, be wise. Uh, I was asked not too long ago in this program, what kind of authority do I have over the lives of the people that are here at my church at Calvary Chapel San Antonio? And my answer then, and it will always be, is I have no authority at all. And that's demonstrated, Antonio, on a daily basis because people don't listen to what I say. Now, I, I don't mean that in an in a unpleasant way. They they love me and, and they're listening for the Spirit. But uh, the truth is, people do what they want to do until they're surrendered to Jesus Christ, where the power of the Holy Spirit can grip their hearts. They do what they want to do. And when we tell people, especially in counseling, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to stop doing this, they just tune me out. And our job then is to tell them that your heart is getting hard. You're going to be in a dangerous situation. We'll be here for you when you crash and burn. But believe me, you will crash and burn. And they don't like that because, well, the flesh wants what the flesh wants. And um, and, and people don't like that kind of authority. It's not really me having any authority at all, Antonio. It's simply me telling them, this is what the Word says. Here are the consequences for disobeying the Word. And things are going to spin out of control. Uh, God is working in your heart. You have to choose whether you're going to listen or not. So I hope that makes sense to you, Antonio. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Billy says, I was baptized a few years ago, but didn't really repent of my sins. I've now been born again. God bless you, Billy. That's good. I've now been born again and want to know if I should get baptized again. Yes, 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 a thousand times yes. And what a great testimony. You know, Billy, just this past weekend, uh, we had our our annual baptism event. Now, we have other baptisms throughout the year, uh, but we like to do something with the whole fellowship. And uh, so once a year, we do an outdoor thing, um, uh, food and fellowship. But we give people a chance to uh, give a little bit of a testimony 
before they get in the water, if they choose to. We don't make anybody do it, but but if they choose to do it. And Billy, what a great testimony that would be for you. You can say, look, I was baptized a few years ago, but because I didn't repent of my sins, I wasn't serious about the Lord. But now I've been born again. And getting baptized is me simply publicly declaring my faith, allegiance, and love in and to and for Jesus Christ. So yes, get baptized again, enjoy it, invite friends and family members, especially those who knew you when you first got baptized and didn't see any change. Let them begin to see the change that takes place when somebody is truly born again. Great question, Billy. Thank you, and I'm really grateful that you're born again. Tim says, I know I shouldn't smoke, but I can't seem to give it up. Is this a sin? Tim, in and of itself, smoking cigarettes is not identified as a sin in the Bible. So somebody tells you Christians can't smoke. I know a lot of Christians that love Jesus with all of their heart who smoke. Okay, but now here's what's important. Romans 14.23 says, uh, anything not of faith is sin. And it seems like the Holy Spirit is already speaking to your heart. I know I shouldn't smoke. That's the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart. And the reason he would tell you that is because he has ministry for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to use you in the lives of others. And his plan for you would be much richer and fuller. You'd have many more opportunities uh, if, in fact, um, you wouldn't be seen smoking. Uh, It's going to be a stumbling block to some people. And you don't want to limit your ministry. Uh, Tim, uh, years ago, we have a lot of people here at our church who are pretty tatted. And, uh, you know, um, especially people that are committed to the Lord and serving, when they talk to me about getting more tattoos, I just tell them, look, the more tattoos you get, the smaller your audience is going to be. The, 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 the greater the limits on the scope of your ministry is going to be. So just keep that in mind. Tattoos are not a sin. Now, half of the world out there is saying, Leviticus 19 says it is a sin. That's not what we understand as tattoos, body artwork that was cutting yourself for uh, the rituals for the dead. So completely different things. Um, but, But I tell them that you're limiting the number of people who will take you seriously, the number of people who will who will listen. So uh, prayerfully consider that. Now, smoking, it's a filthy habit. It's a disgusting habit. It is getting to be a very expensive habit. So this is one of those things, Tim. you got to decide. Do you love Jesus more than you love smoking? Again, it's not an issue of salvation. But when he's asking to get let go of it, he's asking you to do it because it's best for you and best to help you accomplish his will in and through your life. So you've got to make the decision. I'm going to do it for you. Now let me make another suggestion. I've had people who were delivered instantly from heroin or instantly from meth. By the way, drugs will kill. Drugs will kill. And especially with meth, you don't know uh, when that time is going to come. And it usually happens sooner rather than later uh, where you've just taken a step over a line that you can't come back from. I know people that were delivered instantly and miraculously from those two things who couldn't give up smoking. Well, God left that in your life to teach you to fight. He left that in your life to teach you to fight. So this is one of those things, instead of focusing on, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to smoke, instead focus on Jesus, being with him. If you and Jesus were hanging out together, physically you wouldn't light up a cigarette. I mean, it's simple. You know God is already speaking to your heart about not smoking. You wouldn't light up a cigarette. So you just get so close to Jesus that you take him with you everywhere you go. And instead of thinking about, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to smoke, you'll be thinking about how pleased Jesus is that you're denying your flesh, giving up something that your flesh really likes, something that you're addicted to. And uh, and uh, you can just imagine that smile of Jesus on your life. And Tim, if you do that, he will be truly pleased. The Apostle Paul says um, that all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And then he says this, I will not be mastered by anything. And right now, Tim, smoking is in control of your life. 
Is it a sin? Anything not of faith is sin. So what might be okay for somebody, evidently in this case with smoking, is not okay for you. So don't do guilt. Just say, Jesus, I've tried to quit this and it doesn't work. Uh, I haven't had any success. And uh, now I'm going to do it for you, Lord, but I can't do it in my own strength. I need your help. Tim, I promise you that will work. That will work for people that overeat, uh, people that drink, um, like you, people that smoke, uh, people that are smoking marijuana. When you realize that what you're doing is displeasing to the Lord, then you're going to be super accountable to make the right choice every day. Do I do what Jesus wants or do I do what my flesh wants? And if you choose to do what your flesh wants, then you've crossed that line where the issue becomes sinful for you. So Tim, hang in there and You can't stop in your own, but Jesus in you will stop. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We've got 30 minutes left in our program. We'd love your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back as we enter our final 30 minutes of the week. 340-9585. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you today? Cindy, I'm doing really well. Thank you. I bet you are, since it's probably, what is it, over? Yeah, it is over. It's 104 degrees. You must be happy as a clam. (laughs) I like it. I stay inside most of the time, but I just like warm weather. Yeah, I know. You know what, Wednesday uh, we were in Leviticus, which it really has been fascinating. Um, Now, you talked about, near the end of the chapter, you talked about the bull being taken outside, the priest taking a bull outside the camp, and that the hide and the legs and a bunch of other things were included, and they were burnt outside the camp. And you likened it to somewhat about how our lives are wasted when we're not following God. We're just burning up our lives. And it really convicted me because I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I spoke in tongues. I think I was around the summer of the seventh grade or somewhere around there at my best friend's house in Woodland Hills, California, and it just kind of snapped me to a reality of how much of my life I wasted flip-flopping in the Lord. I'd I'd follow Him, then I'd not, and then I would, and then I didn't, but I wasted the majority of my life not staying in God's will. So I wondered if you would talk again about what you'd said about the bull being burned outside, and I'll listen on the radio. Thank you, Cindy. You know, let me let me get, get the most important thing uh, in answering that question is the the one thing for all of us. It's never too late, and and, and, and if like most people, you've wasted some time in your service for the Lord. You've 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 squandered many opportunities. Um, the, the way to respond is say, Jesus, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. But let's you and I get started today. It doesn't matter whether you're 15 years old or 51 years old or or 90 years old. Whatever time you've got left, the Lord, I promise, wants to use. And I think remedy is 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 the most important focus that we can have. Instead of looking back and letting the devil pound us and condemn us because we've squandered so much of our time, I think it's remedy. I think of Samson, uh, Cindy, who... Um, um, the Bible says he killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. And we know he killed a lot of Philistines while he was alive. But but after having failed everything and having his eyes put out um, with, with one last burst of repentance and power from God, uh, he was able to accomplish the most. So whether you've got a bunch of years left or not many years left, uh, what you do is you simply say, Lord, I don't want to waste one more minute of one more day. 
Now, that doesn't mean we can't rest. It doesn't mean that we got to be um, in the Bible 24-7 or on our knees praying 24-7. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that we are available all the time as the Lord leads. Now, the reason I likened it to that, and that is a secondary application. They took the bull outside the gate. Uh, because that was a picture of Jesus uh, being crucified outside the city limits. Um, forgiveness of sins comes by death. And taking the, the flesh, the, the hide and the meat, uh, and you said, and other things, uh, it was the, the, the innards and the awful, which is the unclean mess from the inside and burning it up uh, outside the city gates. That's um, the picture. And I think for all of us, Cindy, what we do is we simply have to crucify. Paul says crucify the flesh daily. Jesus said we've got to pick up the cross, which is an instrument of execution. Luke adds the word daily. And we do that by denying ourself and, and offering our bodies to the Lord. So that's the application that I was talking about specifically and, you know, so many of us, we, we do so much guilt over the time that we've wasted. And the, the one thing God is never from the Lord is guilt. Guilt is good. If you're guilty, you can repent, but then you're cleansed, justified. And then you say, okay, Jesus, I don't want to waste one more minute of one more day. And that's how you remedy. And, and remember, that word is important because we, um, we think about things, but remedy matters. And remedy in this case, equals change. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate it. Let's go to Scott holding online too. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. How are you today? Good, Scott. Good to hear from you. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I've got a question. Um, this and this is well. I just we'll wait and see what your answer is on it. But it's it's on the church accepting electronic. Um, uh, funds or whatever for tithes and offerings. Um, this is a recent discussion at the church I attend, and and I, I have a little reservation on it because it, it seems like it's going to affect the act of worship. But I don't know what your, how your church if they do that or or what how you deal with that. But if you could just kind of tell me your thoughts on that, um, I'd appreciate it. I'd be God happy to, Scott. Thank you, man. Scott, most churches are thrilled to receive money any way it comes. Uh, it is the act of giving the money that is worship. It's not the act of giving the money in public. It's not the act of putting it in an, uh, an offering box or in a hat or in a big chicken bucket or, or, or anything. It is the act of giving that's worship. And as much worship can happen in private you know, when you make that uh, transfer electronically, um, uh, you you can just say, Lord, thank you so much for enabling me to give like this. God loves a, a generous heart, a cheerful giver. And so you just say, Lord, you've blessed me with so much. Uh, how much do you want me to give? Um, uh, the, of It's your money. It's all your money. And when you make that commitment, when you're obedient, that, Scott, is when the worship comes. That's when the worship happens. It doesn't just happen in the church. And I'll tell you this, you know, we, we our church, um, Scott, we, we never ask for money. Uh, we never pass a plate. We have offering boxes in the back in the sanctuary, and we offer uh, online access to giving. And uh, we just want people to know that their only responsibility is to give as unto the Lord, to give with a, with a, a, a glad and cheerful heart, and to do it. Uh, because they understand that God has given first everything for us, and we're acknowledging that as an act of worship. Um, my my business manager might be listening uh, to the show now, uh, but I think she tells me that uh, now um, we're, we're probably getting pretty close to half of our money that comes in coming from online. More and more people are doing it. We used to give on PayPal. We still have that available. Uh, but uh, they convinced me that younger people are, are are more comfortable with QR codes. I don't even know for sure what that is. But uh, as soon as we put subsplash in a QR code, uh, our online giving increased. And I think giving, uh, making giving 
convenient and easy is a good thing. So I just, I don't think it's worship. One other comment, Scott, about us here. Um, We don't have a lot of time in our service. Um, We're in a very, very tight schedule because we have three morning services. And um, um, to have an offertory and pass a plate uh, takes time away from the teaching of the Word of God. And I just believe with all my heart that if we teach the Word of God, people are going to have generous hearts and they're going to want to give. So, Scott, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Jim on line one. Jim, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Jim, are you with us? Oh, I'm sorry. I guess we took too long and we lost Jim. Um, But, Jim, you are. uh, There's nobody on the line now. If you want to call, I'll get right to you. Here's a call for a question from James. He says, uh, who in the Trinity has the most power and authority? Um, James, this is a little bit complicated to explain. Uh, All three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, are completely God. They share exactly the same attributes. Jesus, in fact, is the exact image of 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 his Father in heaven, the radiance of the glory of God. The Holy Spirit is Christ in us, so there's no competition. They all have the same authority. The authority, Jesus said, all authority in heaven, all judgment uh, on earth and in heaven has been given to him. So his authority comes from the Father, but it's the Father's authority. So they all have exactly the same authority from the Holy Spirit because his job is to testify about Jesus. He's a witness to the person of Jesus Christ and comes and lives in those of us who are his. Of course, that same unlimited power, the power that raised Christ from the dead, is available to all of us. So uh, no one has more power than the other. Now, there is... Um, when Jesus, at his incarnation, there was a uh, a system that was put in place, a system that we're supposed to remember um, that uh, Jesus was under the authority of his Father. That was because he de- he veiled his deity, James, not because he lost any authority at all. So they all have the same power, and it is infinite power. Thank you. I think we've got Jim back on the line. Jim, thanks for calling back. You're on the line. Thanks, Pastor. Thanks for being patient. My pleasure. Um, so I have a question about gr- mercy and grace, but mostly mercy. So I'll read some verses in Ephesians 2. Among This is Ephesians 2, verse 3. Among them all, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, <laughs> because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And so I, I was kind of curious when I read in, a, in Philippians about Epaphroditus. And here's the verse that kind of tripped me up. I thought, huh. Um, indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So, you know, we're not, we're not, you have any rights. You know, every day is a gift. Every breath I have is a, a gracious gift from my Heavenly Father. So if I'm sick and God gives me health, that's a gift. You know, uh-huh. uh, but I, I don't, I'm wondering when, when he says mercy. God had mercy on Epaphroditus and on Paul. I, I, would, I would think probably if I were right, I would say, hey, he had great. But no, he had mercy. Can you give some insight on that, please? Well, I hope I can, Jim. Thank, thank you. One of the things we need to remember, going all the way back into the Old Testament, and I'm in Leviticus, so my mind is there now. But, um, you know, the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. The mercy seat was above the the Ark of the Covenant, and it was overshadowed by the wings of the cherubim. And so that was that was God describing himself to his people. I'm going to be merciful. Now, of course, they knew nothing of grace, but it was a wonderful picture of the grace that was available to us. Now, we remember that God says he's, he's compassionate, he's merciful, he's slow to anger and abounding in love. That describes who he is. And so we talk about mercy, and this is the way it works best for me, Jim, and this may not be the the picture that works best for you, but I've always thought of mercy as not getting what we deserve. I deserve to die, 
and I'm not going to get that. Grace trumps mercy because grace is that even though I deserve to die, God is then going to give me everything that I don't deserve. So I'm not getting what I deserve. When we sin, when we use our our mouth to curse God, or we we foul language comes out, we talk about people that are badly. Um, Mercy is God withholding his judgment. Grace is God convicting us by the power of the Holy Spirit and leading us into a place where once we have experienced that grace that lives, well, then that grace overwhelms us. And then, of course, Romans 8, 1 says, from that point, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, in Epaphroditus's case, I knew you were going there when you said Philippians. Um, I think that the, the use of the term mercy had multiple multiple definitions, uh, like we have multiple definitions for the same word. So this isn't uh, that, that Epaphroditus deserved to die, uh, but Paul no doubt was praying for Epaphroditus and praying for mercy. And I love that. And we talk about this all the time here when people get sick. We'll pray, Lord, have mercy on the sick person. Please touch and heal, Lord, but have mercy on us as well, sparing us sorrow upon sorrow. And, uh, you know, death is just the way of this world. Um, that's what happens. We live, we die. And uh, when when God spares us, that he is being merciful. I think sometimes him being merciful is just because he knows it's more than we can handle. Other times it just is an outpouring of his character and his nature. So, Jim, that's what it is. The difference, mercy is not getting what I deserve. Grace is getting everything that I don't deserve. And and that's always helped me differentiate between the two. And as I said earlier, grace always trumps mercy. It is a fuller, more complete uh, gift that comes from heaven. God who gives um, great and perfect gifts. Mercy is one of those gifts. Let me also say this, Jim. I think there are times when God, in his mercy, combined with his patience. God is patient. Um, um I think there are times when God gives us mercy by not um, calling us to account for our sin immediately. He, he, Instead of judging us immediately, instead of dealing with uh, horrific consequences, in his mercy for us, there are times when he will just sort of nudge us along uh, that road to repentance so that before things get out of hand, then we'll have to deal with our sin. And I think that's a really important um, application personally for for the idea of God having mercy on us. Sometimes I think that God is merciful and brings some consequences to bear. When somebody's doing something that could kill them, somebody's doing something that's going to destroy a marriage, or somebody's doing something that that that, that is is hazardous, I think um, uh, sometimes God will bring the full weight of consequences very, very quickly. And I think when we get to heaven, we're going to find out how merciful God was in that regard. So, Jim, I hope that helps. It makes sense to me, and I hope it does for you. Thank you for calling. It's good to hear from you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Rita says, Pastor Ron, if Jacob wrestled with God, why does it read like Jacob won the match, that God could not prevail over him? Rita um, when I first started this passage of scriptures, Genesis 32, uh, it is it is one of the, if not the most personal passage in scripture for me. Romans 8:29 is another one, but but this is this is a passage of scripture that I actually repeat on a daily basis. Part of it when when Jacob said, "I will not let go until you bless me," I will not let go. I say that every day. Every day to the Lord. It's been part and parcel of my walk with Jesus now for 31 of my 32 years walking with Jesus. Um, the idea here is is God appeared to Jacob. Jacob was uh, trying to, to meet his brother on his terms. Jacob was afraid, so he was approachable. And God came and engaged him in a wrestling match. And if you read the, 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 the language, um, Jacob was wrestling with God 
but really he was wrestling to get away from him. So in the beginning, it was Jesus holding on to Jacob. It was like Jacob was saying, let me go, let me go. I got this. I'll do this. And uh, they wrestled all night. And it says that, that, that the angel could not prevail against him. That, that doesn't mean he couldn't have wiped him out. I mean, he, in a minute, he, he cripples his hip with just a touch and he'll walk with a limp the rest of his life. But here's what it means, Reed. It means that God would not prevail over his free will. God was wrestling with him. God was trying to put him in a position where he realized that this is the power I'm trying to get away from. This is the power I need as I'm facing this scary episode with Esau. And um, um, Jesus was holding on to him. And they wrestled all night long. And finally, Jesus basically said, well, I can see that you're not going to do this willingly. So he touched his hip, he crippled him. And then it was that moment when Jacob saw the power he was trying to get away from. And that's when everything changed. And he held on to Jesus. So it was Jesus, just like your walk, Rita, and mine. Jesus was holding on to us long before we were holding on to him. I think we all can get to a point where we've tried to get away for so long that Jesus someday will just let go and say, okay, I tried, you're on your own. And uh, for me, and I, I don't know your story, Rita, but for me, um, when he let go of me, um, I fell on my face and gave my heart to Jesus. And it changed my entire life. That was 32 and a half now, years ago, with the Lord. So God clearly had the power to do anything. But he would not override Jacob's free will. Jacob had to make the decision to hold on to Jesus. And that's the same, uh, Rita, as it is for each and every one of us. We've got to make the decision to, to, to stop wrestling and start holding on. And that's what he did. Great passage of scripture, Rita. Thank you very, very much. Georgia said... Does the sexual revolution in our country mean that God has abandoned our country? Georgia, God never abandons any of us. All we have to do is cry out for him. I will in no wise cast out any who come to me, the Bible says. Um, But sexual immorality is certainly a sign that we've abandoned God. And I think it's no coincidence that in all the lists of the things that we can do that will not result in us inheriting the kingdom of heaven, uh, sexual immorality is always first on that list. And uh, I don't think this is a revolution. I think this is God, Romans chapter 1, giving, giving us over to our own hard hearts. Now, again, he hasn't abandoned the United States. God's not dealing with nations any longer. He's dealing with people. And every person, no matter what their sexual past is, every person needs only to turn to Jesus Christ. But you can see how hard people's hearts are. And, um, you know, there was a a movement that was cliche-ish, but makes a pretty good point. Um, You know, we used to say, God bless America all the time. And there was a group said, no, um, we've got to, Got to ask America to bless God. No, we can't bless God any other way than than coming to Him. And so um, our hearts are hard. We can turn to God. That means He's always here. Here's the last one of the day called in question to the studio. Um, anonymous, when somebody talks in tongues, where does it come from? Um, and I'm going to talk about the, the spiritual use of it when it's led by the Holy Spirit. Well, talking in tongues comes from the Spirit of God. It is a prayer language. It is not necessarily a known language, although it can be. I pray for the gift of foreign tongues all the time. Whenever I'm around people that speak Chinese or speak um, um, uh, Vietnamese, we we go to places, Paul and I do, where that happened. Uh, I'm always saying, okay, Lord, I'd love their tongue. Give me the gift of that tongue so that I can share Jesus with them. That hasn't happened yet. But um, but, but the, the gift always comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, the problem is that the experience that we see in many out-of-control churches is that it's a counterfeit gift. And then that just comes from our flesh. Anytime you see people speaking tongues all at the same time, violating the rules for the gift of tongues in the church assembly, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, 
when 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 tongues are being used that violate that, well, that is not a gift that's counterfeit, and our flesh can do that. I always use it comically, but it's sadly true. Um, you know, we can yabba dabba do all we want, but but that doesn't mean it comes in the spirit. So we can fake it and try to impress upon people how spiritual we are. But the reality is, it's only when it comes to the Holy Spirit that it has any value at all. It is a gift that we can exercise whenever we choose, but it's got to be done the way the Lord says to do it, to, to use the gift according to his terms, and then it's a gift, Anonymous, it is really, really valuable really valuable. So um, if you've been given the gift of tongues, nurture it. Use it. Do it privately. You and Jesus, get away and use it. And even though the enemy will try to, that's not from God, uh, just just be obedient in faith and see what the Lord will do. Thanks for the question. Hey, a quick reminder, tonight I'm going to be teaching Galatians chapter 6, the first 10 verses um, on Sunday our three services. Uh, I'm going to be teaching uh, the first part of Acts chapter 16. That means it's going to be a really good week for me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Find somebody and tell them how much God loves them. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.